everybody, Horse and His Boy coming right up. But first, I, Nathan Alberson, humble and obedient host here with Jake, pastor master of reading, to ask your help with a little something and yeah. offer you a cool reward. Been doing a lot of that lately. Yeah. So here's the thing. Um, we've had a whole lot of expenses pile up lately at warwardmedia.com, and we are looking to get a nice little shot uh, in the arm. And so what we want to do is offer something in return. So here's the deal. From now until the end of October, we're offering everybody who gives a one-time gift at warrenmedia.com two free downloads. One of the the e-text of Tim Bailey's new book, Church Reformed, available wherever fine books are sold, but available for the cost of any one-time donation, no matter how large or small. And the latest album from My Soul Among Lions, Song of the King, Volume 3, Psalms 21 through 30. So we're going to give away the album and the book. So if you want to check out those psalm settings, or if you think it's cool, if you haven't got them yet, then yeah, go to warrenmedia.com and mm-hmm. uh, give today. That's absolutely right. This is, not, this is about making payroll, not about buying Brandon a Ferrari. So <laughs> we certainly appreciate any support you could give us. Yeah, our next fundraiser is for, uh, for the Ferrari. Coming up next, the beginning reads, Thank you, patrons, the horse and his boy. This is Nathan Amberson, your humble and obedient host, welcoming you to another meaty serving of booking goodness. Yes, sir, E-Bob. This is going to be a full course meal. I can feel it. This is going to be one for the tally books, one for the ages. This, I'm just going to say it at the top. My prediction, the greatest booking episode of all time. Yep. A much beloved book. Uh-huh. Somebody's going to come in and this is going to be the first episode they listen to because they came in excited to read about or listen about C.S. Lewis. Right. And the Horse and the Is Boy is their favorite C.S. Lewis book of all time. And they just were chomping at the bit. No yeah. and, now, and now we're promising they, them the best bookening episode of all time. So now this is going to be what they think of the bookening. Mm. And we have set them up for... Being quite happy with the podcast. Yeah, that's and what I was thinking. That's exactly... We've set them up for success, for continued, because they'll be like, wow. They're going to be buy-in immediately as $100 supporters. You know, they might all actually... $1,000 supporters. How would you feel if you turned a podcast on and... It, I'm talking to Pastor Jacob Menzel, the pastor who's a master of reading right now. That's me. Folks, how would you feel if you listened to a podcast and the very first episode that you listened to was the best? Because you might be tempted to then just not listen to anything else. You've already heard the best. What I'm asserting, folks, and I'm continuing to assert this, is that it's not even going to just clear the bar of being a great episode. It's going to be so great that even though all other episodes will be a little bit worse, they'll still they can still land squarely in the great category because this one is like phenom, spectac, tip top, terrific. And so you need to like put it in your notes to revisit at the end of this episode. Whether or not we think we achieved what we set out to achieve. I'll put it in my notes right now, sir. Did, was this the greatest booking episode of all time? In my notes. Prove to me it's in your notes. Brandon? I want to see it. All right, you clown. <laughs> <laughs> now, for our listeners, Brandon actually did, in between these episodes, become a clown. He's wearing a red nose. Was white, this paint. the greatest episode of all time? He also pronounces was, was. 
Oh, I saw that A as an O. No, he spelt it correctly, people. He's referring to Wozniak. Yeah. Wozniak, that's right. Your thoughts about Wozniak? I knew a Steve Wozniak. It wasn't the real Steve Wozniak. (laughs) (laughs) The real Steve Wozniak, please. I bet he would would dispute that fact. That's true. He He considers himself himself a real Steve Wozniak. Brendan, do you have an imaginary friend named Steve Wozniak? (laughs) You guys, he's right over there. <laughs> ah, this explains so this much. who I'm always talking to. Oh, you didn't. Just I'm a real talking. genius, Brandon. <laughs> you think, well, you are a clown now. So. Yeah, he tells yeah. me. Every, he tells me everything I know. Brandon is also a clown. <laughs> we gave Jake a wart last, which, by the way, that Steve wart Wath. only growing in size, right, Brandon? It's huge. It is a galactic. It's like wart. one of the eighth planets now. Instead of it, the seven planets of Narnia, it's, it would be an eighth one. Right. It could if C.S. Lewis were here, he'd write a book. hair coming out of it like warts do. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> and where exactly is it again on my face? One, two, three, go. The right, right side, side of, of your, your forehead. forehead. While we're While looking at we're it. we're looking at it. Ah. Yeah. If C.S. Lewis were here, he would write another Narnia book and he would encode messages about your wart in it because it's so big. It's like the size of another planet. I'll lay even money. That sentence has never been uttered in, history, <laughs> in human history before. <laughs> wow. If C.S. Lewis was here. Yeah. We're making history here <laughs> with our C.S. Lewis hot takes. He'd read another book about your... I don't even want to listen to And we are right. on track for the greatest episode of all time. Now, I just want to point, tell. before we get... So far, before we, we get, get a lot of highlights. Yeah, no, this is for nothing, but yeah. uh, bef- before we go any farther, I just want to point out something, which is now two weeks in a row, Jake has absolutely rejoiced in his knowledge of the fact that warts apparently don't have hairs. Like Jake's, <laughs> Jake's so proud of himself pointing out the, oh, well, yeah, guys, my wart has a hair. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what a wart is. I'm not, I'm not ashamed of that fact. I mean, That's I know it's like a purview of moles, Nathan. <laughs> I just don't want you guys to be confused about all the moles that you have on you. Thinking there were warts putting compound W or whatever on them. Jake, why don't you show off with your knowledge? What is the difference between a wart and like a mole is just a little. A wart is something that you're, it's like a function of a virus or something you get infected. Uh, So I guess it's a mole. That is a big difference. You all could have warts actually. Wow. We could all get warts. So, okay. We stand corrected. It's a mole on the side of his face. Right. (laughs) Well, maybe you just got a face virus, a face virus, face virus. Um, we didn't want the new listeners to actually hang around for the greatest episode of all time, right? Are they gone? (laughs) I I think so. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's just as likely that our listeners all do know the difference between a wart and mole, and they were they were. It's more likely that they all know the difference between a wart and a mole, and that you guys are weird. They're like, get him, Jake. Yeah, Yeah. Jake's on the side of the every man except for us. (laughs) We're the idiots. (laughs) That's a pretty good summary of the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. Have I actually introduced it? Scholar's the Brandon who's a baller of reading. Yep. Brandon's the scholar who's a baller of reading. Jake's the pastor who's a master of reading. I'm your humble and obedient host. We do a little podcast called The Booketing, wherein we discuss a book for the entire length of the podcast and discuss the thoughts that this said book triggers for us. Guys, we said we were going to come back with our silver chair thoughts. I don't know that I have... Another whole episode's worth of silver chair thoughts. But we do need to wrap up the silver chair before we talk about the horse and his boy. So, what else did you guys want to say about the silver chair? Caves are bad. Yeah. I remember Jake thinks caves are bad. Plato's uh, open spaces are good. Caves are bad. That's it's that yeah. simple. It's that simple. You yeah. heard it here first from the pastor on our show. Uh, caves are evil. 
And the scholar just says caves are evil. That's all I say. Yeah. That's all he says. Eustace and Jill were pretty great. I think they're the best characters in the whole thing. I was going to say podcast in the whole book series. I think as far as kids characters go, they are in some ways my favorites because they just feel very relatable. Jill's like constantly annoyed with Eustace and Eustace is constantly. Maybe the book has a little bit of that Harry Potter five syndrome where the kids are just kind of being nasty to each other in Harry Potter's case because they're all hitting puberty. But I thought that Jill and Eustace were relatable enough without being too obnoxious but you also understood where their obnoxiousness was coming and i just i don't know they felt like more well-rounded characters than peter and lucy and edmund and uh old what's her face the one that susan susan yeah if you mean that by being well-rounded you show that children are petty and mean to one another and like edmund lucy and eustace that combo on the don treader with caspian that's a pretty strong combo yeah and then you get to throw reap cheap in there i think that's a stronger team than team jill and eustace and puddle glum yeah but puddle glum counts for a lot i mean he gets a lot of points i'm not saying he doesn't and then eustace you know he's he's no slouch well he's a a little bit of a slouch he's still he's still a slouch but isn't that nice that lewis tracked eustace's redemption even through this entire second book about him as being slow like he's basically a good guy now but he still complains and he's still kind of a he doesn't become a glowing hero like peter right yeah. Or even Edmund. And he didn't live to full adulthood and Narnia and doesn't have those memories to return to his bones. Yeah, yeah, he does not have those memories to return to his bones. That is very true. Well, yeah, that's fair. I think if I had to choose kids to go on an adventure with me, I would probably choose the post-Eustace Redemption Don Treader gang would, would, would probably be the, the gang of kids that you'd want. Although yeah. the original Pensive... Pevensies, Pevensies, Pevensies are not are no slouches. You know, there's so many words. Do you guys, when you come across a name in a book, do you take the time to figure out how to say it? Because I will regularly, when I read a book and I haven't listened to the audiobook or seen the movie or anything, not know how to pronounce the name because I simply never bother. It's just like there's that block of text that means this person. Especially, we're we're about to read War and Peace pretty soon. Like I won't know how to pronounce. I'll probably figure it out for the podcast so people won't ever have to know. But I, I won't pronounce half those names. But I'll just think of him as the guy whose name starts with an R and has these character traits. I won't I won't actually mentally well, Russian names is a little different than names like Peter and Edmund and Eustace and yeah, what was I talking about? What were you talking about? There had to have been something better than that that you were that I was forgetting. Yeah. Um oh you, the Pens Pevensies. Pevensies. Yeah, it's like that kind of a name. It's three syllables. It's not a regular name. I, I just don't take time to sound it out or figure out how it'd be said. Yeah, I, I, I do. You do figure it out. Yeah. I, I really appreciate it in a book when the car- the author will actually put in something where the person's like, no, it rhymes with Fevensy. Like, like my Antonia. Like my Antonia. He actually tells you There's how to do it. footnote at the for, beginning. For, for whatever good that did us because we spent like 14 minutes we still arguing don't know about how it. To... Yeah, I still don't know how to say it. You no, mean... it's, like, it's like in, I think you mean in Goblet of Fire when finally Rowling corrected a whole generation of kids from saying Hermione. Yeah, that's yeah. what I meant. In Well, I don't really have anything else to say. Oh, his education. I was like Lewis beating up on bad progressive education ed- education of his time. I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. The only way yeah. to make it better is by having a bunch of animals eat them at the end. That would be good. Yeah. But they all got the snot beat out of them by the kids that they were picking on. So that was pretty good. Yeah, that was great. Country justice, Narnian justice dispensed. That's right. It's good stuff. 
Only use the flat of the sword. That was too bad. They should have been allowed to use the sharp of the sword. Yeah, more blood. More that's, blood. That's what this was missing. More Joe blood. should have gotten a magical machine gun instead yeah. of a, a riding crop or whatever it was she got. With a bandana tied around her head. <laughs> Rambo. Yeah. It's weird when he says, like, horrible things went on in this school that I can't even tell you about. If you're people like us that are, tend to fixate on a certain passage from another <laughs> nonfiction. Like, like, oh, we think we got this figured out. Yeah. Like, well, no, he doesn't think that was horrible. So that wouldn't classify. <laughs> oh, Brandon, that's a cheap shot. <laughs> I mean, if you wanted to say that, he'd be like, there were wonderful expressions of almost love. <laughs> the touch had of, within them yeah. a, yeah, trace, was a, a touch of the divine. A trace yeah. of divinity was going on at this school. Yeah. Uh, we that was we don't understand uns- unspeakable. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. Silver chair. Guys, yeah. it's time early in the episode to give our lamppost rating. Now, I'm going to tell you guys what we've done so far so you can know. Sweet. Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe. Jake gave it six. Nathan gave it five. Brandon gave it six for a final booking ranking of 5.6 repeating lampposts. Yeah. Prince Caspian. Nathan gave it 5.5. Brandon gave it five. Jake gave it five for a low booking ranking of 5.16 repeating Oof. lampposts. So that, I think, is our lowest Ooh. rating so far. Uh, Voyage of the Dawn Treader bounced back, but still not breaking a six total. Nathan gave it six. Brandon gave it five. Jake gave it six for another final ranking of 5.6 lampposts repeating. And now, how many lampposts do you guys want to give to the silver chair? Jake, do you want to go first and last? Since yours is the most likely to deviate from the crowd, do you want me and Brandon to go first? Or do you want to just boldly proclaim your lamppost rating for this book. I'll let you choose. I'll give it a five, I'll give it five and a half. That's pretty high. It's higher yeah. than I thought it was going to be. I thought you were going to finally break a four because the cave stuff was so thorough. Full half star off the cave. I, I enjoyed it this go round and found it compelling. I don't want to rank it with Lion and the Witch or uh, Don Treader, but I think I want to bump it ahead of Caspian, which I gave a five. You did give a five to Caspian, so you, you want to give this a 5.5? I think I want to drop it above Caspian. Oh, you want to give it? Yeah, so, oh, right. Drop it in there above Caspian. Right. Yeah. So 5.5 it is. Brandon? Yeah. How many lampposts for Silver Chair? Six and a half. Six and a half. Just didn't quite scrape that seven. No. You can do whatever you want. Do I, you I, I'll, I might change my scores in retrospect. Like, our, what did I give Don Treader? You gave Don Treader a five. Yeah, you see... Things are changing now. Mm-hmm. I'm a changing guy. I don't really stay the same. I right. shift and I'm mutable, all that jazz. We just finished The Horse and His Boy, and for reasons we'll talk about, You've I just probably realized- probably been anticipating giving it a seven. Yeah, and I just realized Lewis is going to do what Lewis does. And there's a really frustrating part of that book as well. Mm-hmm. So guess what? I'm up in my score for Don Treader. Oh, wow. To a six. This is really interesting. Because that travel stuff was fun. Who cares about the crazy Gnostic crud? I win. It's going to be there anyways. If you are weak enough to get all giddy about it, then sorry. But if you get rid of all the Gnostic stuff, it's a great story. It's fun to read. Pretty sure that I only liked this book a little bit better than the Dawn Treader. So I think the Dawn Treader deserves a six. This deserves a six and a half. Okay. There you go. That's fair enough. So let's see. I add six plus six plus six, and then I divide by three to get our... Right. Our average, that would right? Be six. And that would be six. <laughs> yeah. You have three sixes, the <laughs> yeah. average. Uh, well, I, I would like to point something out. <laughs> yeah. That book is now the 666. 
Uh, it's oh, you, as it should be, <laughs> due to its, <laughs> I win. its apocalyptic devilry. <laughs> Brandon, you are making a mockery of the lamppost system, sir. I'm sorry, Nathan. I got to give what I feel. Got to give what you feel. All right. Well, if we're giving what we feel, then I'm giving the silver chair seven lampposts. Whoa. Count them. I think seven. I, I am predicting did. that this will be my favorite Narnia book. Now, now, I feel like I have a little bit more leeway to work here because Brandon's just established that we can go back and no you're you have you have to stay well, I have to... I'm the only one that gets to change <laughs> that's not fair guys we're gonna move on and talk about a book that I think by dint of common rumor and legend is 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 seems to be a lot of people's favorite books talking about the horse and his boy by one Clive Staples Lewis Brandon you've been keeping us apprised of the planets uh-huh by the way, I want to thank our listeners, our donors, for getting us back over 750 so we could jump back into Narnia. You guys are the best. They're the best. Now, you, Brandon, uh-huh. are about to tell us what planet Horse and His Boy is. Jake, do you have a guess? Oh, this is fun. Mm, nope. It was known to be the fastest moving of the planets, according to pre-Copernican Mercury. astronomers. Yes. We now know that he orbits the sun. It literally says he, as opposed to it. Hmm. We now know that he orbits the sun every 88 days, whereas Venus takes 225 days, Mars 687 days, Jupiter 12 years, and Saturn 29 years. So he really is the fastest planet. (laughs) Jake has so much scorn in his eyes right now. (laughs) Um... Is this from the book? The <laughs> no, this is. There's a website that summarizes. It's his website. Okay, Michael Ward's website. He has a website. Wait, this guy has built an entire career out of his planets. Oh yeah, this C.S. is Lewis This theory? is what this guy does. Just goes around the, the country. The official website of the book by Dr. Michael Ward is this website, and it's the Planets Narnia book. Yeah. So the theory is that C.S. Lewis hid references, or maybe not even hid them, and that each of the ba- books were based somewhat allegorically on the seven planets of the medieval astronomy, mm-hmm. the cosmology of the medievalists. So, Jake, your thoughts about the fact that this guy has, in fact, not just written a random book, but built, apparently, a career on his planet's Narnia theory. Well, lots of people build careers on horoscopes and yeah. astrology. So here's what the book, here's what the website says about the perfect Mark Twain has a quote. I think it's something like astrology here. I'm going to adapt the Mark Twain quote, uh, quote, astrology was created when the first con man met the first fool. How about that? (laughs) I like that. If you want to take advantage of Christians, combine astrology with C.S. Lewis and make a whole life off of it, baby. Right. Yeah. And this guy, I mean, he wants you to buy his book. Probably half of our listeners actually really have read this stuff and like it and now hate me. There, I'm, I'm pretty sure somebody on Sandy. I've not read it. I'm sure. Well, well, I'll, I'll go this far. It's entirely possible that C.S. Lewis was the one that combined C.S. Lewis and ast- astrology. I still don't know that I'm all that personally interested in a book on it, but... But hey, I don't, you gotta you gotta write your thesis on something. We're not gonna figure it out. Let's not figure it out. Let's talk about the horse and his boy. You know, I think that we ought to talk about uh, Star Wars and astrology. Did you know that the Babylonians called the planet Mercury Naboo? <gasps> uh, oh. Guys, let's talk about The Horse and His Boy. Oh, good. By C.S. Lewis. What do you guys think about The Horse and His Boy by C.S. Lewis? Well, I will start by 
Remember, Jake, whatever you say is part of what's been promised to be the greatest episode I know. of the Bookening. I know, and it's gonna, all time. it's totally going to be the greatest thing anybody's ever heard me say, which is that... You just take the pressure right off, because we already know this is going to be great. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. So I, I finished this book a month ago when we were supposed to record this episode. <sighs> That's true. And then we didn't record the episode. It's, you know, it's been a month since I've read it, so it's just taken me a minute to bring get it back, all back into it. Yeah. Well, there's a Tash Ban, or the Tash Ban's a place. There's a Tizrock. There's Shasta. There's, there's Callerman. Arvis. There's Bree. There's, there's Ar- Arvis. Bree and Quinn. Quinn. High King Peter. Yeah, we got the Some cameos giants. by our. It's a little more than cameos, actually. Mm-hmm. Got Lucy. Got Mr. Tumnus. You do have Mr. Tumnus. I guess I'll start us off by saying. I don't like this one as much. I can't really talk around it because it's true. Yeah, I I, I didn't have also, as much fun with this one. No, I didn't find it to be as much fun. I found it to be a little more of a slog than the other books. Yeah, and I was expecting it to be the the best. Like I remembered loving this one as a kid. I know a lot of people swear by it. I know people say this is the best. I know people have told me they're looking forward to this podcast in particular. So I had every reason to want to like it and to expect to like it, and then I read it. I didn't like it that much. And people may be expecting us to like it. It's got some... Yeah, I'm a little scared about that, but... It's got some I good... cannot tell a lie. You, you could. I love it. It's my favorite. There you go. See? Was that so hard, Nathan? Nope. See you, people. Bye. Jake, your thoughts? Yeah. Oh, did you want to hear those thoughts? I did. Yes, we I did. Because you kept interrupting them, so I just thought you didn't care. Brandon. I want to. I'm sorry. You I will wanna... not interrupt Jake. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. You do not interrupt Jake when he's I'm going to go back in my corner now. Yes. <laughs> okay. Thoughts. Your thoughts. It's got some good images in it, some good imagery that stuck with me and that I remember the beehives, mm-hmm. beehive tombs. The beehive tombs, yes. Um, I really like, as a kid, I thought it was fun to run into adult Pevensey kids. That yes. was fun. Those may be the two fun things. I always, I just always thought about the race across the desert or whatever with a lion on their tail and finding they could go faster than they thought they could to be a helpful metaphor as a kid, as a young, as a young athlete, as a young particular. athlete in particular. Yeah, that there's always another gear that you can find if you really want to, if you really need to. Mm-hmm. That stuck with me as a kid. In the little scene where uh, Prince Kor or whichever gets disciplined by his dad for mocking someone weaker than him. Specifically, Rab- Rabadash when he's... Rabadash, yeah. Rabadash, whatever his name is, when he's... Yeah. So, I mean, those were the high points for me as a kid, and I don't know, maybe so much of the fun of reading it as a kid is you're on the journey and you don't know what they're going to encounter, what they're going to find. I don't know. What's around the corner? Yeah, maybe maybe the problem, maybe the virtue and the vice of it is that it's a basically a plot-based book. It's kind of like what I complain about uh, about Agatha Christie every time we do her, which is that there's not much to her beyond the plot. And if you already know the twist or you already know the ending, these characters I didn't find to be very likable. Yeah, so much of it hinges on the fact that, oh, look, Shasta's actually this long-lost prince. Which as a kid seemed really cool. As a kid, the whole cliched Arabian world seemed really cool. Even, even you know, Lewis drawing it out and giving you enough clues to figure it out super early, if you read that sort of thing young enough, and you figure it out halfway through the book, it's still cool to feel like you figured it out and you're waiting for everybody else to catch up to you. You have the same, the exact same feeling when they run into the kings and queens of Narnia 
and you're like, it's Lucy, it's Peter, it's Susan. Like, I know these characters. Which I know more of... than Cor- you know, Shasta. We're seeing it from Shasta's point of view, and yeah. I'm ahead of him on this one. And as a kid, I think you really get a big kick out of, more so than adults maybe, you get a big kick out of just being ahead of the characters, being able to piece things together. Yeah, and I also think, I mean, that's, that's by the way, another great reason to read this in order. Right. Oh, yeah, exactly. Because if you read this in chronological order, then you read this right after The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and you don't have the time to have it be special. Like, we've spent books now with Eustace and Jill and, you know, Edmund, Lucy, and Eustace, and we've gotten away from the four right. that sit on the thrones at Care Paravel. And so we just came off the silver chair you know, they're not in it at all. And so that just makes it feel that much more fun when suddenly, oh, these characters that I know and love and that I've got even some nostalgia for already by, you know, a certain point through the series, there they are again. Well, I have to imagine a lot of our listeners experienced this book the first time the way I did, which was with my mom reading maybe one chapter a night, if that, you know, maybe four or five days a week. And so it did take forever. And when we finally did get back around to something like that, it would have probably been a few months. The space would have elapsed. It's a little bit different than being an adult and realizing you could burn through one of these books in two or three hours. But for me as a kid, I had The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe read in class. And then I got my dad to buy the box set and then I read the rest of them. And they were in the order of publication at that box set that I got. And that was cool. I agree with the places Jake goes to as being the highlights of the book. Mm-hmm. Part of my issue with the book is that as far as an, an, an Arabian story goes, it seemed like a cheap knockoff. Mm-hmm. Like it, Aladdin at least has the magic of the genie. Right. But there's not a whole lot of magic. As far as a Narnia story goes, you don't get a whole lot of Narnia. Instead, you get this cheap knockoff of an Arabian story, a, a kind of bland adventure across the desert to a castle that is kind of like a bland knockoff of a medieval story as well. So you get this weird hybrid thing that's not Narnia. It's not really an Arabian Nights story. And it just didn't work for me this time because I'm, I'm also with you. I didn't care much for the characters. Yeah, I guess Shasta's... As far as... as far as farm a little bit, but... Yeah, Shasta's a fine character. But as far as Narnian creatures go... Bree didn't quite hold a candle to Puddleglum, even though he was supposed to kind of be in the same wheelhouse. At least that's what I felt with Bree. He was kind of the glum. I mean, Puddleglum, of course, has different a different characterization, right? But still, but the beehives tombs were great. The uh, he's pretty different than Puddleglum. He's a proud know-it-all. Who... Yeah, it's the the pride and the arrogance is why I started backtracking on that. Yeah. He's just a, he's a proud know-it-all that if you yeah. just follow his way, he's, everything's going to go right. And, he's supposed to be comic relief. But he's and not that comical. It's really He really just almost feels like he exists to be conceited and then to learn a lesson. He doesn't... Yeah. Right. He's not outrageously interesting in his antics. You know, some of the... Some of the some of the Lewis characters are almost like Dickensian grotesques. You yeah. have Reepicheep, who is the personification of courage valor. and of valor and of gentlemanly fortitude. And you have characters like that. But Bree, he's not really all that sharply yeah. exaggerated in a way that makes him interesting. The, the the comic relief is more in Lazara Lean and yeah. in the, that whole scene 
with her and Erebus eavesdropping on the Tisrock and Rabidash kicking Erebus's betrothed over and over in the hind quarters and Rabidash at the end wiggling his ears and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I will say to speaking of that and speaking of what Brandon was saying about the cheap knockoff of Arabian, I hate to say that, but I kind of it whatever research Lewis did However he much he loved the Arabian Nights, I have no idea. I can only say this does feel cheaper and more shallow. Like when Lewis talks about a fawn or a dryad or presents these simplistic caricatures of old mythology, it feels like, you know, the iceberg theory, right? Like Lewis understands all of this myth and we're only seeing what he wants to show us in his simplistic. But you feel kind of the weight and gravity of him understanding and knowing about all this stuff, and it makes the world feel, especially after the first book, after after Wardrobe, it, the world feels pretty real and not like a pastiche. This one, we're kind of back to pastiche, and, and it just feels like Lewis didn't really like Arabian culture, obviously. No. You yeah. know, this book feels, it's a caricature of a caricature of a, you know, it's like what somebody who's seen a movie about the Arabian Nights would write about Arabian culture. Yeah. He but doesn't. It, he doesn't give it much more dignity. I suppose there's a little bit of nobility with the main chick, Arabes, with her, yeah. with her lineage and with her, mm-hmm. her pride and her storytelling, her dignity, yeah. yeah, the way she carries herself. I think as a kid who doesn't have a lot of exposure to that sort of thing, it works just fine. And yeah, even you know the parts that don't line up with Arabic culture, you can excuse as a kid because this is a fantasy world. It's Narnia. Narnia doesn't line up with England. Right. One to one. So I don't know. It, it's not that unlike Aladdin. Yeah. Which I was the same time that I read uh, these books. Must actually. have been, yeah. 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 It's about the same time. Because it was my third grade teacher that read uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe to us. My Jewish girlfriend in third grade was insisting that we would have a whole new world played at our wedding. So did you? You know, I, I didn't marry her. Oh. She moved to Hershey, Pennsylvania. Did you invite her to the wedding with Amanda and then play a whole new world to I make her feel spite? I did consider that, yeah. No, As you and Amanda got onto a carpet and flew away? Yeah, you know, that would have been great, but no, I didn't, didn't do that. Would have been a good idea, just saying. Yeah. So before the recording, can mm-hmm. I step back and yes. now the sausage is made sort of thing? Right. I was grumpy about C.S. Lewis. Surprise, surprise to everybody out there. Mm, I didn't grow up with C.S. Lewis. I didn't have that childhood perspective with C.S. Lewis. And so reading these books is a different, completely different experience for me. In some ways, it gives me a distance that might be good. Mm -hmm. In some ways, as Jake pointed out, it actually gives me a distance that isn't helpful because these really are books for children. And Jake pointed out that we have undeniable proof that kids like these books Mm -hmm. because we both have kids that really like these books sure, and that that matters. And I think that's right. I think that really does matter. I don't know what to make of that at this point, but. Well, what is the difference? Like, why do kids love this book so much? And why did the three of us grumpy old adults not like it as much? I think it's because of similar to the reasons you can't get behind Agatha Christie that you want, you feel less time in your life to give to things like this when you want to give it to other sort of art and literature. Mm -hmm. I think that's part of it. It's the difference between, I mean, not to, not to degrade Narnia too much here, but it's, it's the difference between coming back to star Wars as an adult and realizing 
Uh, these stories are pretty thin and the characterization is pretty flat and right. the dialogue yeah. is worthless. But I had a lot of fun living in this world as a kid. Right. And mm-hmm. it was cool. It's sort of it's sort of like that. You know, you want these things that hit you at your most impressionable times and that really sparked and fired your imagination with their creativity. Yeah. To hold up for you as an adult in the same the same way they did when you were six, seven, eight years old and Guess what? It just doesn't work that way. And if it does, it's because you are in the hands of a true master, which is super rare. Yeah. Well, sometimes it's simply a craft thing. Like when I go back to Star Wars, it doesn't really hold up for me. When I go back to Raiders of the Lost Ark, it does because, and it's not because the characters are any less thin or the story is ultimately any more meaningful. It's just because. Steven Spielberg was firing on all, all cylinders. Harrison Ford was in his prime. <laughs> it's just simply a matter of craft. Yeah. As a kid, I I loved the adventure. Now I still like the adventure, but what I really admire is just the pure display of no, you're right, craftsmanship. Like now, it's no secret. I, we all loved Charlotte's Web. Mm-hmm. Right. If you try to point out, well, does Charlotte's Web actually have lessons about life that are any better than what Narnia offers? No. But which one's better? Charlotte's Web, without yeah. a doubt, is better. Mm-hmm. Coming back to it as an adult. In, terms, gets, of a, in terms of craft. In right. terms of craft, right. yeah. Yeah, but that's like saying, again, it's like saying Raiders of the Lost Ark is better in terms of craft. But if you go and ask any eight-year-old if you'd Star rather Wars. watch Raiders of the Lost Ark or Star Wars, he's going to pick Star yeah. Wars because laser swords are cool. And, yeah. Right. And I wasn't disagreeing with that. Force yeah. powers are and cool. So, right. And so and it it affects me too. So I, when I watch a Star Wars movie, it's a better experience if I'm watching it with my son Jack than it is if I'm watching it alone. Because mm-hmm. Jack enjoys yeah, it. Jack absolutely. thinks it's awesome. And so with Narnia, I think I would have actually enjoyed it more this time if I had read it out loud to my kids. Right. Because I think they would have loved it. Yeah. And I might try that with the last couple of books here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think that'll shape my experience. I'll I'll get to experience it vicariously through them, and that will help me to enjoy it. And what? So I'm saying that's a legitimate argument in favor of these books, and in favor of me trying to get over something in myself, because that was a legitimate favor against certain children's books in the past, which mm-hmm. shall be the Voldemort and not be named. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, Emil. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, hey. hey. <laughs> But that that is speaking of Voldemort. Mm-hmm. That is an in, that's something that I've been trying to ponder about what it says about me and about what it says about these books. Is that for these Chronicles of Narnia, I have had no desire to pick up the last two books and read them. Mm-hmm. You know what I immediately wanted to do after I finished book five with Harry Potter? Pick up book six. Pick up book six. Yeah, that's been striking to me too. Going back to the Chronicles of Narnia, which I did grow up with, and coming to Harry. Potter, which I just read for the first time last summer. Yeah. Man, to me right now, I would much rather, I would be more excited if you told me that we're just going to do Harry Potter all over again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would than too. these next two books. And I, I accept that, and I believe that actually morally, Lewis is the superior writer, even yes. if we've taken great much many issue yeah. <laughs> with, with the, with, certain aspects of the morality of these books Mm -hmm. but as a moral author as a as a moralist for (laughs) for children lewis is far superior to rowling yeah and he's got an imaginative world that works Mm -hmm. but in terms of just storytelling yeah 
and storytelling craft and even world building, Rowling's just got him deep. It is. Yeah. I mean, it's a little bit of that je ne sais quoi, Mm -hmm. right? Because what you said is Lewis has everything that should make him more appealing. He has a world that I think a lot of people would say is healthier for children to be in than Harry Potter's world. Us included. Us included, yeah. And yet this is just a gut reaction and that's whether people like it or not, that's yeah, that's the you level. Can, you can you can take our gut reaction and say, well, that says something bad about you. I yeah, actually, I actually want to take it out of the realm of the subjective, though. I think there is a specific thing that we could probably demonstrate if we had a Harry Potter book on us. Yeah, I think she very simply knows how to write a page turner, and I think that that's a very specific gift, a very yeah. specific skill. What it what it what it involves is each page needs to have a question that you want answered that makes you read the next page. And it's a very difficult, clever way of writing. And But here's what's unusual is she made you feel that way too, right, Nathan? Yeah. We've read other people who are good at being a page turner, Mm -hmm. such as Agatha Christie and the other guy, what's his name? Uh, Ready Player One. Ready Player One. Ernest Klein. Uh, Ernest Klein. Yeah. And she's the only one who has, I think, received all of our admiration. Yeah. Well, the difference is I can appreciate a straight up page turner probably as well. Probably if that's all it brings to the table, I'm going to appreciate it more than anybody else in this room. Mm-hmm. Nathan needs characterization in order to like something. Mm-hmm. And he needs and he needs world building. I mean She's got enough of that and holy cow. I mean, well, you know, Harry, Ron and Hermione are as well drawn characters as you could want in literature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In children's literature. And the world building is fantastic. Yeah. It's super well lived in and imaginative and, you know, she takes what's cool about Star Wars in terms of world building and what's cool about Tolkien in terms of an epic battle against good and of good against evil and builds some mythos around it and tells a cracking page turner and can do it for 700 pages at a time and keep kids plowing through it. Yeah. Yeah, it's always amazing to see a kid, like a little kid with a Harry Potter big book that's bigger than him. I yeah. saw it today. Kid at the cross-country meet. He's been reading, last cross-country meet he was in book five, and this one he's already almost through book seven. Mm-hmm. There you go. So, yeah. Well, and I want to say, in terms of craftsmanship, in terms of that that je ne sais quoi, that ability to write a page turner, her ability to do that is not the same as... Ernest Klein's ability to do that. Ernest Klein is very mechanical. She's she's an artist when it she comes is. to page turning, her page turning abilities, the puzzle box that she builds and the ability of her ability to make you want to answer those questions or to even just yeah. be intrigued by them when you kind of know how <laughs> stories work and know the answers to the questions yeah. is the only person that I think comes close in modern, in modern times is Stephen King. And that is his gift and it's a real gift. And he's unfortunately pretty profane, vulgar, and gory, and all the rest. But he, he writes dumb stories about killer clowns that don't particularly have any real rules or anything interesting, but they have likable characters and that ability, whatever you want to call that. Well, to take a step back and go back to the gut reaction, mm-hmm. one of the thought I had that I was going to finish now is that a lot of people, I think, don't like that about when you say like it's just a gut reaction. Mm-hmm. But whether they like it or not, that is how literature and art works a lot of the times. It works through your feelings and your gut mm-hmm. just as much as it does through your reason. 
Mm-hmm. And that's why. Well, that's can... why. I mean, that's the whole point of it being art, right? Yeah, and that. That's like, why otherwise, can... let's just read. Let's not read the Ransom trilogy. Let's not read yeah. that hideous strength. Let's read the abolition of man. Let's read the philosophical treatises that get at the yeah. deeper truths that are being illustrated. Why bother illustrating them? Exactly. We bother illustrating them so it helps connect the truths that you're trying to communicate with people's hearts and emotions. Yeah, right. Helps them connect and understand them differently or better. <laughs> why, or why your lies this? and yeah. untruths. And this is a question know? This is a question I've been thinking about a lot lately for one particular reason. Mm. And it's that's why it matters who the author is who's telling you this, because they will shape the way you taste the world. Mm-hmm. Whether you like it or not, they will. And so that just, it brought me back to this. I really wanted to like the Chronicles of Narnia more than I have mm-hmm. this time. Yeah. And all I'm finding, like Jake said, is that I really, the reading these books is making me wish that I was reading Harry Potter again. Yeah. I've I've had actually the same feeling and I don't even like Harry Potter half as much as that you, it seems like you guys like it, but I, it's um, not half. I didn't much. know that I liked it as much as I did until reading these books again. And I, I'm kind of starting to admire her. Well, she has everything going for her except for actual taste actual morals yeah and style <laughs> actual goodness <laughs> writing 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 ability right though her i mean that's a hard question with her i am you can't be as pretentious as harold bloom and just say she's a bad writer because obviously she can no we had a big discussion about whether or not she how good her chops really are and how much of her where she falls short is just laziness or deadlines or whatever because she's capable of she's doing got well these moments to. that are just really beautifully written you know from a just a style standpoint yeah. the and then she's got is. stuff that's just you know lazy or sloppy or whatever right but when harry's walking through the forest in the last book that's as good as anything in children's There's a literature. lot of great stuff. Yeah. But we're supposed to be talking about the horse. Well, this is the greatest episode of all time, <laughs> yeah. and somehow it turned into a discussion of Harry Potter. Yeah. So make of that what you will, dear listener. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, listen, why are wait, we just... Wait, 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 wait. Okay. I want to live here for a, for a minute, because yeah. I know that there are listeners out there who are hearing... And you, we have to remember how disconnected we are in time <laughs> from our last uh, Narnia episodes right. that we've done. We have been really, really hard on C.S. Lewis for his paganism and his worldview. Yeah. And here we are bringing Rowling in again in praise yeah. of J.K. Rowling, <laughs> who's just straight up as pagan as they come. Explicitly and, so. Explicitly so. And the the stuff of her... Old school pagan, not just like pagan, like she more likes like, materials more like, and stuff. More like but demonic pagan, yeah, like, right? Like, like yeah. we talk about Bacchus. Like druid and, kind of pagan. Yeah, yeah. We're talking about magic and druidism, real witchcraft stuff. And yet we're like, Yay. we're giving it a pass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> Lewis, man. No, we're not giving it a pass. Here's the thing about Lewis, and here's why we're so hard on him. Christians love him, and they trust him, and they they assume that what he wrote is of the highest order. In many ways, it is. And so, therefore- And then they're willing to excuse absolutely any aspect yep. of what, you know, he brings in Bacchus for a Bacchanal thing that orgy. is described in orgiastic terms, and we're all supposed to close our eyes and pretend that that's not what's happening. Yeah. Right. And we're just supposed to put the absolute best spin and best light on it possible. You know, yeah, that can be done. And we can all just go through and see it all through the eyes of the most innocent of all children. Mm-hmm. But you know what? That's just not honest. No, like, it's not. 
even Don Treader, my book, you know, it's got the, it has a fallen angel who is the God of his own little world that they all worship and fear. And it's because they can't handle the real true God yet, you know, but one day they'll, they'll be able to, mm-hmm. you know? So it's just like, this is Lewis's philosophy of we have to grow up with the pagan gods, the fallen angels, the demons before we're mature enough to embrace Jesus. Like as culture, this is, this is, it's not even a, that's not stretching it. That's like, right. That's it's, it's breaking. It, it broke. It, it, you it is broke hack. It. Yeah. It is like hack one-to-one allegory. Like so much of Narnia is. Mm. Yeah. So there's that let's disguise our paganism in Christian terms and then let's all just have a big because C.S. Lewis was smart and also a populist and we feel in, really inferior and stupid as Christians let's all latch on to Lewis because he makes us feel validated because there's a smart populist Christian out there that we can still latch on to who denies hell who's a universalist who baptizes paganism at every turn he can get which is so right? insecure yeah. as Christians like come on guys we're the smart ones. God made the world. We have the ultimate truth. We don't have to feel insecure just because the world thinks we're dumb. Of course the world thinks we're dumb. It's the world. That's what it does. It hates us. Big deal. We don't respond to that by deifying C.S. Lewis and just everything he was that smart. he's done because he's and we smart. we want to feel smart too. Yeah. No, that's like, that's like us all becoming fans of some dumb Manhattan preacher who also denies the biblical doctrine of hell and the biblical doctrine of creation. But, you know, he's published in the New York Times. That's right. Well, and, and even taking a step back from just that. Just saying. Just, yeah. Jake tells it he's like just it is. saying. Curl yeah. up by the fireside and try not to get burned. <laughs> baby, <laughs> baby. <laughs> Don't believe in hell. Feel this. Listen, here's the thing. Here's the thing. J.K. Rowling cheerfully says, I'm a pagan. I like pagan stuff. I like wizards and witches and stuff. Yeah. Every Christian feels uncomfortable about that. There's no Christian who doesn't take their kid to it and say, you know, you know, go to the Harry Potter movie and say, hey, you probably shouldn't become a, a witch. And if they don't, they're really dumb. Yeah. Sorry. No, you got uh, you, you to be an idiot to, I mean, I'm sorry. Like the stuff that's bad about Harry Potter is really obviously bad and yeah. you don't need us to tell you about it. C.S. Lewis, you may not have thought of some of this stuff. And I'm not saying we're smart. I'm just saying sometimes when everybody just says something's good, Somebody has to say, like... Oh, yeah, the stuff with Bacchus, the, yeah. the stuff that ha- happened around the Dionysian cults and all that, no matter how many people want to write long paragraphs trying to explain it away, mm-hmm. it was wicked stuff, and it was just as wicked as any witchcraft. And yet, C.S. Lewis, because he wrote a book called Mere Christianity, gets passed. Right, it occurs in a context where you might not suspect that it's bad, and it yeah. might get in under your skin and do some stuff to you, and you not even realize it, and that's not good. Yeah, and so, I mean, if J.K. Rowling had written a book called Mere Christianity Part 2 and mm-hmm. made Dumbledore into a Aslan, mm-hmm. maybe people would love her more. And then we'd be more suspicious of her. And we more, would be more we, suspicious of her, But it's yeah. like, here's, you, you, want to, you want us to... Well, tar- people meaning Christians. Right. You, you want us to tell you what's bad about Harry Potter? Witchcraft is bad. Her yeah. moral relativism is bad. Her lack of belief in father figures is bad. There, yep. there there's, there's your big insight into harry potter problem done we're done yeah we did like nine episodes but if you just wanted to boil down the moral truth of those episodes there you go that's yeah. harry potter c.s lewis is much more difficult to parse 
Because there's so much that's good and so much that's it's bad. It's just and bad. Even then, you have to judge him by his own criteria. Mm-hmm. And one of the criteria he has is, first and foremost, a story has to be entertaining. Mm-hmm. That is, that is a C.S. Lewis <laughs> maxim. Yeah. And, <laughs> and one we quote often. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I know kids love these books, and that's great. But I know which books appeal more, make me want to come back to them. Well, here's my question. Why are we having this discussion now about this book? Like the other books haven't triggered this kind of, uh, well, this is really just for kids. Because we enjoy the other books. And what what is it about this book that's less enjoying? This is, uh, people are going to be so disappointed in us. And I'm sorry, people, we wanted to like it. Because, I mean, we all probably at the very beginning brought some real childhood fondness. We, I think we all probably, you would know you kept record, but we all probably anticipated this being one of our top. I bet each of us put this in our top three, if not top two. Yeah, Easily, let me just yeah. uh, let me just pull it up so I can say. Um, and so we came to this these this reading, probably the way lots of listeners are coming to these episodes. Yeah, Nathan, th- th- my prediction was this was a favorite. It will continue to be a favorite. Brandon predicted this would be his favorite book. Jake depicted predicted it would be a favorite. Yeah, but we all said okay, like this is yeah. this is the top of the line. This is premier Narnia here. Yeah, I don't think I would have been surprised if the, if coming in if this wasn't the one that was my favorite. Yeah, you actually said dispo- you. I didn't read all that you said. You said you were you were you were disappointed. You said originally when you were a kid, I think you were disappointed not to be with our heroes, and so you'd always kind of maybe not quite yeah. given into the rhetoric that said this book was the best, but you thought it would be one of your favorites. Yeah, so I think it's partly the disappointment that this book didn't live up to that. That this book was pretty dry, pretty. Yeah, these characters just aren't likable. I'm dry sorry. Dry like a desert. That's what I was... Yeah. <laughs> dry like a desert. Dry like a desert. Shasta's just like, he doesn't have the British wit that the the Pensivy, Pevency, 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 that's the first and last time I'll say that correctly, have, you know, they yeah. have they have these really relatable childlike quirks, you know, from our world. I think the other part of it for me is also a little bit of the Chronicles of Narnia burnout already. Yeah, that's we've a real had, factor that we should yeah. talk about. We've lived in this world for four books. Mm-hmm. And then I had the thought of having to come back and remind myself what this book was about. And then mm-hmm. I'm like, and I still have to read The Magician's Nephew mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. The Last Battle. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and I'm just not... I'm yeah. looking forward to The Magician's Nephew. Folks, and we love you people for giving us back. money yes. so that you can hear us then trash <laughs> these books. No, we're not trashing and, them. We're not trashing them. We're, being, we're trying to be honest about them. Yeah. And so people have built up this idea of C.S. Lewis and this he's like this unassailable fortress that you can't mm-hmm. say anything against. And so I know already that there are people who are probably very angry and maybe writing one-star reviews right now to mm-hmm. leave on iTunes. Hey, we're following uh, Lewis's own advice in this book. Yeah. Let's hear it. But Give he just, he... Uh, Never taunt a man save when he is stronger than you. Yeah. Then... As you please. Right. We're punching up when we punch at C.S. Lewis. We are, yes. Yep. Now, I'll admit that we can sound like we're punching down because <laughs> that's kind of our <laughs> thing. No, we're punching up, yeah. <laughs> we talk as if everyone's down. <laughs> but come on, C.S. Lewis is great. We're punching up. Make fun of, what was her, what was the uh, wrinkle in time lady? Madeline Langle. That's oh, punch, that's, that's punching real down. We're, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's pretty cheap. <laughs> it was like we're standing on top of the Grand Canyon trying to punch someone that's <laughs> in the already bottom fall- of it. <laughs> already falling. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, boy. So why doesn't this book, why is this the one? Well, what, what do the other books have that made us like them? Besides uh, Narnia Burnout, 
true great. characters that we love mm-hmm. and a reason to hang with them to the end. These characters just aren't likable. The horse isn't likable. The boy is just seems like stock hero. He doesn't have the little British quirks and real world quirks. If we didn't have Puddle Glum in the silver in Silver Chair, nobody loves that book. Puddle Glum mm-hmm. does a lot for that book. Uh, Eustace and Jill, they're not enjoyable characters to be around for that book. No. They're not likable characters. At really. least they're relatable. They like, are. They're well. Well, and it's stuff like she's going to show off. I, I suppose you could say the same thing about Erebus, Erebus, and Shasta, Shasta. But just the fact that they talk in basically something that resembles my idiom, I'm not going to pretend like I'm above, and maybe this is just me, but to me, like having somebody that kind of talks like I recognize, or at least talks like a type of British person that I recognize really helps. And having them make some modern references or just say things like, girls never know about directions, you know, just like stuff that I'm... These feel more like fairy tale characters and they're less relatable. And then Arvis is... Beyond that, to my mind, you have these wiser characters and wisdom and things being learned in dramatic intention throughout all those other books that is always paying for itself Mm -hmm. um, as you go. Mm -hmm. And so you don't have that in this book. You don't have, none of these characters know anything. The only person who who does anything right, I mean, Erebus is true and loyal actually. Honorable. But at the end of the day, like, until Shasta jumps off the horse to fight the lion to protect Erebus, you don't really have a lot. Far into the book. Uh, and, and so what has to happen? Aslan has to show up and have long scenes of exposition about the lessons that we've all learned throughout mm-hmm. the course of this book. Instead of it being observations by our characters, something they've learned themselves without having to be told. Like You know, that's really interesting. I don't think I thought of this, but I really don't like Aslan's part in this book maybe it's good theology i can think i haven't really thought one way or another about that maybe it's bad but maybe let's just assume it's good for a second i just don't like the fact that he's he's driving the plot so much i mean it's okay if he shows up to get you know, him out this of a scrape but it feels like he's much just about the hand of providence right yeah like, that's that's that that makes for a boring book like our heroes aren't doing anything interesting like they're just, they're being, just being driven driven to they're yeah. chased throughout the pit uh through the pages by the lion yeah to their best life and nathan it sounds like you're not a calvinist well brennan i'll, I'll thank you to leave my uh soteriology out of this <laughs> nice pool but <laughs> maybe so maybe so much of the distaste for this book for us now is our distaste for the allegorizing of it. I mean, mm-hmm. you have to imagine a lot of the people that love this book really love the image of God chasing us away from the land of evil to the land of light, mm-hmm. guiding our steps, being in the one that is both pressing us on by fear and by fear of him and comforting us at night while we feel most alone as a kitten, but then also as a protector, mm-hmm. and there every step of the way, guiding, protecting it. It, it. To us, it didn't feel safe. To us, it felt scary. To us, it felt like a wild ride, and we never could have been safer. Even that whole moment, Shasta's walking with Aslan through the mountain pass, and then when they go back through the mountain pass later in the broad, broad daylight, Shasta's like, holy cow, I could have died at any moment. This was so narrow, I could have fallen off. And then he remembers, you know, Aslan's 
was on the side that would have been between him and the edge of the cliff at all times. And so there it is again on the nose. But the idea that he was always, we're always walking the knife's edge and at every step along the way, it's only God standing between us mm-hmm. and utter destruction. Like all of those kinds of things, like that imagery, I'm sure a lot of our listeners want to hear us talk about that and talk about how powerful that imagery is. And I don't have much taste for it. Mm-hmm. I will say, I will give them this. Well, do you want to say why you don't have taste for it first? I mean, it's fine, right? It's, there's, there's nothing wrong with it. It's fine, but I'd rather the author just tell me that's what I'm getting myself into, such as Bunyan. Well, to me, it feels like a plot problem. Like it's it it, it takes the agency away from. The, it's like if Gandalf just followed Frodo and Sam and Gollum the whole time and solved all their problems and shoved them into going the right place. It's like the book wouldn't be as interesting. We kind of need Gandalf to die yeah. and our heroes to split up and be lost and 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 us to really feel like they're lost. As an adult, at least, you never for a second think. And maybe this is another thing that kids re- reason kids appreciate the book. They they actually might not know that the cat that's following them the whole time is Aslan. And so they feel like they're in a little bit more danger. But as an adult, even one who didn't remember this book, of or course. Or if they did know it was Aslan, it was another part of that. I know <laughs> what's going on here. I'm the only one. They don't know, but I know. Right. Yeah. As an adult, it was just like, oh, okay, well, the hand of providence is with them. So where's the suspense? They're going to they're gonna be just fine. Yeah, I think it's a plot problem. But also, I mean, I'm with, this is where I'm kind of with Tolkien. I think that the allegory just... It isn't, it's, it, right? it's not suited it for this. It, so here's the thing about Tolkien is like, do you ever feel in Tolkien like the hand of providence isn't guiding this whole quest? No, of course it is. It feels that way all the time. It's like, and yet it feels like it's full of tension. It's always yeah. on the knife's edge. And yet there's some invisible, inevitable yep. good force driving this all along that is going to ensure that good triumphs over evil. Oh, and the, and the way that he does that is that when he, when the pieces fall, when things happen, when the major events happen, they feel perfectly inevitable. Of course, Gollum's right. going to grab the ring and he's going to be dancing and he's going to fall well, in. Like Gollum was, Gollum was, was there made the for that time. purpose. That's, yeah, yeah that's what and, he was... and he also allows for things to go south too. Right. So like Frodo getting captured and taken to whatever tower that is. Frodo getting paralyzed and same thing. Yeah. He's Frodo dead. getting his yeah. finger bit off right before the thing. You yeah, know. exactly. And so. He allows for things like that to happen, and that gives it that element of realism. Right. This book, yeah, I think that is a problem with this book. The other great element of realism, the eagles. Right. The eagles. (laughs) Sorry. Well, that's actually what I was thinking. If they just got on the eagles, you know, everybody always says, why didn't they just ride the eagles to Mount Doom? That's how C.S. Lewis would write it. He'd be like, get on the eagles of God's providence, and you'll, you know, maybe there'll be some bumps along the way. But you'll but make Gandalf it Gandalf will be riding along <laughs> next to you on his broom and keeping all the Nazgul away. And... <laughs> yeah, it'll be great. I'm like, it's not, okay, great, good metaphor, bad story. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. And so even the world that he builds for this story feels about as cheap and empty. It feels like a very empty stage. Well, it, what it feels like is it should have been a short story instead of a novel. Yeah. yeah, this would be a great short story. Right. Let's evoke this world really quickly. Let's revo- use all of Lewis's favorite racist stereotypes. And let's just tell a little Narnia story. A little parable. I, th- yeah. I think Rowling, again, our, our our golden lady, I think she's actually written some... Bards. Some things. Beetle the Bard. Some little stories yeah. and stuff that exist in her world. This, this, this would make a nice little... Yeah, this would have made a great story like that. The Slave and Tash It's the band. kind of thing that could have been told, actually have been told by Puddleglum yeah. at the campfire, yeah. right? Yeah, that would have been great. Wouldn't that have made for a nice more interesting novel it would have made it longer right 
But yeah, still, but it tell, tell some stories like that, Puddleglum. Mm-hmm. Build out this world. Like, how much cooler would the silver chair have been if instead of alluding to yeah. this story, he told it at... Then you get two the, worlds. You get the weird underground heat world, mm-hmm. and then you get this other Arabian sort of world. That'd been awesome. You could almost say it's the perfectly wrong length. If it was a lot shorter, it would probably be good. If it was a lot longer, if we actually lived with Shasta and the fishermen for a while, we understood his life. We, you know, like what Rawling would do. More points of sympathy with. I mean, Shasta's he's he's a character that's cut in the mold of Huck Finn, but we don't get to. Yeah, that's right. Live with him and love him. Like, what does Shasta want? Like, he wants to get away, and then he's just kind of driven by providence. Like, who is Shasta actually? Like in the hands of like Edith Nesbitt or somebody who's this, you would have had like two or three chapters on him with, or Roald Dahl, mm-hmm. his disappointments with this guy. Right. For two or three chapters at least before anything good started to happen. Yeah, Roald Dahl's actually a great example because he would yeah. give you three up, three chapters with the fishermen being nasty. And those chapters might feel kind of pointless, but they'd actually do a lot of work. Well, yeah, Charlie Bucket is not- That would be all you would need to just be a Team Shasta yeah. for yeah. the whole rest you of don't the sympathize trip. You with Charlie have Bucket. to have a lot of other moments. Yeah. You don't tr- sympathize with Charlie Bucket without those early chapters. Yeah, the section- You have in... to see him poor. You have to see him- Well, just think about what yeah. it does for Huck Finn to have his- dad show up and nail in yeah. the boot and oh yeah that's terrifying. and then chasing him around and him having to escape well and you get the comedy the... of huck how's huck going to relate to the widow and then how he's going to relate to his dad so you actually get huck in a couple different circumstances you see who huck is how he is and then he goes on an adventure and it, the adventure is who huck is and how huck is interacting with the different environments that he comes across in his adventure but you kind of need to know who huck is to be interested in that. We don't we don't really get much. I mean, even with the Pevency? Pevency. Pevency kids. You know, we know Peter's a little bit of a stiff, but he's a good guy. We know Edmund is... Nasty little boy. A nasty little boy. We know Lucy's really sweet and sincere, and... Susie's, Susan's always trying to be a grown-up. Right, and and that those the, and the, that's all established before anybody ever gets into Narnia. That ain't deep Tolstoyian psychology, but it's enough to for us all to relate to those kids, for us all to be able to picture those kids, for us all to have kids in mind that we that are our brothers or our sisters if we're a kid or kids that we know as adults. Shasta, you really don't get that. And then Arvis, I suppose you get it, but she's just she's just unpleasant. I just don't like her that much. I remembered her as getting redeemed a lot, you know, at about three quarters in so that we at least got a quarter of the book with her being Mm -hmm. nice but really she's just haughty and bratty and annoying and honorable and all that but you don't you don't get a chance to just like her all that much like you wouldn't like that kid if you met that kid yeah maybe you would i don't know well erevis and lazaraline that's a good scene. That's a good, that or a good little sequence. It does a lo- does a lot for Erebus. That it does. That is necessary and would have been nice to have come to have, to have had opportunity for that to come earlier. Yes, agreed. And we don't get that till after Shasta's at the tombs. Here's an idea. Maybe instead of having Erebus tell her story in this grand style that's let's super a, annoying let's actually like, i did not want to read like well and yeah, c.s lewis even kind of says it's annoying like shasta right. keeps interrupting because he doesn't get it and but it's like if shasta doesn't like it and then neither do i you know maybe, maybe don't try your hand at, for this chapter at imitating shaharazad yeah right yeah maybe nobody should try their hand at imitating shaharazad 
Although, fun fact, did you know some French guy inserted Aladdin and Alibaba in thousands, uh, well, not thousands, but hundreds of years after the original text of the Arabian Nights? No. Those, the, awesome. the two stories, like, can you name another story from, no. and, and neither one of them no. is, I, I think it's some French guy. It's definitely not part of the original text. That's fun. Um, That's hilarious. Yeah. And we will of never. Of course, those would be the, uh, you know. Created by a, a Westerner. So if you read like the Richard Burton translation, it has those, but the original texts don't actually have it. Anyway, yeah. what were we talking about? Oh, I was just going to say, let's live with Aravis. Let's see what her dad is like. Let's see her wicked stepmother. Let's see her get betrothed to this guy. Let's have a little comedy and or horror with how terrible this guy is. And let's feel the pain of this this little girl that's, what's the word? Uh, betrothed. Betrothed, or... engaged to this nasty man. Then even if she is kind of annoying and bratty, we'll be feeling for we just don't really get those ways to connect with these characters at least as an adult i just and then shasta he needed to go into a cave of wonders and find a magic lamp that would have been great big blue comedy genie that does a million references that kids won't get yeah (laughs) but but he does them really fast yeah so it it seems funny (laughs) so people think it's funny yeah (laughs) that's such a snotty take on aladdin i'm sorry folks robin williams is funny r.i.p r.i.p um but yeah but that just gets back to our original and aladdin is a good story yes it is Aladdin's a great story it's good it's a good Uh um better in 92 than in 2019 but haven't seen 2019 but i agree i think 94 was it 94 it's great uh this just gets back to our original complaint that no it would have been 92 whatever lion king would have been 94 lion king's 94 you're right about that glad we have this figured out okay (laughs) it should have been a longer novel that's all i was gonna say yeah or or shorter one of the sure. two. It's exactly the wrong. I will say, though. Or it should have just been structured differently. It should have just had more about each of their issues, and then they come together. That would have been cool. Yeah. I mean, it's easy to. Less about the Providence lion. Yeah. can't. Don't need a Providence lion. I'm sorry. I, I do want to give our listeners this, though. As a kid, the fact that Aslan slashes her shoulders was very striking. Mm-hmm. And I remember, it, I mean, it really got me thinking, like, Wow. One day I will be too big for a spanking, but actually I won't. God still spanks people. That was fairly profound truth that C.S. Lewis just gave me. Yeah. And that's a really great thing for kids to learn and for adults to learn. Are you going to be Brie or Shasta? Right. In the moment when the lion is attacking, the chips are down and you got to, your true colors are going to show out. Yeah. yeah. For all your talk. Yeah. That's right. That, you know, that's a telling part. Yeah, I, that's sticks whole, with you. Yeah, you know, that's a great moment. Bree, the the the, the warhorse, valiant warhorse with all his talk, and Shasta, the dumb poor slave who probably assumes that he's a coward, finds something inside himself. While Bree, gone. Right, it's a great moment. Yeah, and, and then I, Bree, because he's so I, I I do like the fact that because Bree's so proud. He doesn't stop being proud. He's like his shame. Yeah, he doesn't even want to go to Narnia. After he doesn't even want to go to Narnia anymore, right? Right. He doesn't want to talk to anybody. But it's because of his pride. Even then, it's like after a while, you realize, oh, also, he wants his tail to grow out. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> you know? And the contrast with Quinn is great. Her being sweet and unassuming and humble yeah. and right <laughs> about everything. And I liked it that the stripes on Aravis's back were because she drugged that servant yeah and she was beat i i think that's a nice move because one thing that often frustrates me like about action movies is all the people who die and don't get any 
Like you don't have yeah, any like, sympathy. These guys didn't know they were working for Goldfinger. They just well, no, they were just like, security like, consultants and James Bond snapping their necks. We were and watching everything. like a movie like the Bourne movies yeah, yeah. the other day or something. How fast they're going down those roads? How many casualties are there? <laughs> and you you don't give a second thought to it. You're right. not supposed to. And Bourne has no consequences. He's got to save the world. Right. So who cares if he kills a mother in the stroller? Right. So. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was a nice twist because that irritates me with movies like that. I know you're not supposed to think about that. Although I, I will say I saw an article that I was just trying to look up a synopsis of the book because like Jake said, it's been a few weeks since we had to read it. And I came across this dumb feminist article. Or maybe it's not so dumb, Brandon. Maybe the dumb person is you. Maybe. What, what this ahead. article says is that the fact that Aslan holds Arvis to account for what she does uh-huh is part of C.S. Lewis's nasty patriarchal spirit. Mm. Because if you think about it, she's like a 10-year-old or something. She's barely into puberty at best. She's engaged to this creepy old man. That's basically rape. And she's being sold into sexual servitude. And she did Uh. what she had to to get out of it. And then Aslan punishes her for it. Mm. That lady's smart. She got me. Now that I raised the stupid issue, you're going to have to... Oh, we're going to actually have to argue you against have to this? Argue, yeah. <laughs> Do I have to argue with a stupid feminist? <laughs> yeah, I guess so, just for fun. Okay. Uh, uh, it's part of the greatest episode of all time, so yeah, know, just, go, just roll with it. This, Jake, this is in your wheelhouse. What do you say to uh, this? I've already done a lot of You've already done a lot of arguing against things like this? Like that, yeah. It's your turn. You guys, you, are, are you guys in favor of sexual servitude? I, that's, what I'm, <laughs> that's what I'm kind of understanding here. <clears throat> no, it's not that she wasn't in a horrible I, situation. It's that she still is responsible for her actions within the horrible situation. Look, it doesn't even have to be that deep. Right. It can just be like, hey, you know, there was a cost. Well, And, let's and look- I want you to know that there was a cost to this. Well, yeah. and it is punishment because she there's, an, there's a moment where she explicitly denies the cost. Or I think Shasta or somebody asks what happened oh, yeah, to Servant right. Girl. And she's just like, oh, who cares about her? Right. And that bothers Shasta. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. And so Aslan's like, uh... Actually, there was a cause and you're being punished for it. And so it's and he's not punishing her for wanting to have left or having left. It's for being cavalier with this. The cavalier. Yeah, it's her actions as she did it. And so she's still. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to get into the whole Me Too issues (laughs) (laughs) because that's definitely not where this episode needs to go. No, it's not. Um, It's not where the book was going. I think. (laughs) Well, it's where this feminist is trying to take it. Yeah, she right. was, she was very offended. I think she did and a so, whole series on why all the Narnia books were. But it's just the victim mentality that the victim can't possibly have also acted at all sinfully within the situation. Mm. Yeah. So. Yep. Don't rob victims of their moral agency. Yeah. Victims have moral agency. They do. They have moral yeah. agency. Here's an idea. And Harvey the- Weinstein can have taken advantage of you, and you can still be responsible for the fact that you put yourself in a position. Be taken, be taken advantage of by Harvey Weinstein. And and both things on, can be true. That you did it on purpose, that you set yourself up to be... It, there's all kinds of... That you were it, using listen, your sexuality listen. to get ahead in Hollywood. Yeah, and here's the thing. like Victims feel guilty. Sometimes there's false guilt, mm-hmm. and a lot of it can be false guilt. But sometimes there's real guilt, too. And that real guilt needs to be dealt with. And pretending like victims have no moral agency whatsoever takes away the possibility for repentance and forgiveness for those places where victims did have agency and do bear some guilt for their actions. Yes. Yep. These are deep waters. Please consult your local pastor, 
before moving forward. But yeah. come on. And this has officially become the greatest episode ever. We've tackled <laughs> um, Harry Potter, Me Too movement. <laughs> I told you, a little bit of everything. Yeah. Well, uh, Robin Williams. Robin Williams. Oh, can we talk? Here's another. I'm sorry, folks. I know you wanted us to do just an episode talking about how much we loved it. But how about that part where Wynn's like, you can eat me. Oh, I forgot about that, Nathan. To Aslan. Do we have to say anything about it? Except that it's awful. Why is it awful? I think we better say something. I'm sorry. I made a lot out of that scene in the Don Treader where, is it Caspian says, well, if this water were going to kill me, I would still drink it or something. something there is something like very much but like that. This, yeah. that. That's different than the horrific connotations of what Wynne is saying here, where right. she just is like, Aslan, devour me, consume me, and eat me. It's a perverse misunderstanding of what it means to be dead in Christ right? <laughs> and wanting to be dead in Christ, where you are now, he's this pagan deity who you will allow to cannibalize you. Right. And that that somehow is a good affect or feeling to have. Um, That's an important point because most Eastern mysticism assumes a kind of great homogenization, whatever word you want to say. And as Christians... Yeah, you lose yourself in the one. As Christians, we believe in the individuality of the self. I actually had a youth group kid ask me about this. There was a lesson at youth group about Christian unity and this kid was very bothered by the idea of Christian unity because he said, are we supposed to, does that just mean we lose ourselves and become one with each other? Is that what God's doing us? Is it some kind of karmic, not karmic, but uh, what's the word, Brahmin? Uh, yeah. Buddhist. Buddhist. Nirvana, Nirvana kind yeah. of. And I was very happy to tell the kid, no, we are one in Christ. And also we are individuals with wills and with individual souls and with individual bodies. And that's the way God likes it. And we are not moving towards some greater plateau of reality where we will lose all that individuality, even though we will be one with Christ. That's just not what it means. And it's troubling that C.S. Lewis, so if he had given this to like a foolish character to say like, and then Aslan had had to tell him, you know, stop it, you're being dumb, right? right? That's not how this works. But he gave it to the innocent as far as we know, well-intentioned mayor right. that up to that point had really said nothing other than be shy. No, her whole thing is that she just always says the kind of dumb, obvious thing that everyone else is too smart to yeah. say. Yeah. And so the fact that he gives this to her to say says something about C.S. Lewis's perspective on it. He thinks that there's some... This is the right response of yeah. the humble person. Exactly, yeah. Right, that's what... Quinn is the righteous, humble right. person in this story. Yeah. And therefore, the stand-in for that kind of person, like Lucy in the in the earlier books, like the one whose intuitions when yes. they encounter Aslan are going to be right, right. And so this yeah, is the, the one right who could response, see him, yeah. the one who, yeah. And there's something of the blood and paganism that I hated until we have faces about it. Yeah, there's just something of the u- Lewis's usual unfortunate mysticism, Gnosticism, yeah, just his weirdness there. I guess in his defense, Aslan doesn't eat her. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, that's not a defense. That scene would be awesome. (laughs) Why, yes, when I will. (laughs) (laughs) Aslan fell to the bloody feast. His maw soaked in horse blood. Bones crunched. (laughs) It should have been like the ending of Anna Karenina. (laughs) 
<laughs> the last moment, Lynn's like, no, no. I changed my mind, but it's too late. <laughs> Chastin. <laughs> They're all running that thought, Aslan. <laughs> just some faces and yeah. wine. <laughs> some talking wine in Narnia. <laughs> just figured out this gimmick. <laughs> he just passes himself yeah. up. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. See, <laughs> all kinds of great things that C.S. Lewis could have done. Best episode ever. <laughs> this is obviously the best episode ever. What are uh, what are some other nice things we can say? Because I know people love this book. Um, We've said nice things. We liked some of the imagery. We liked some of the scenes. Catching up that with cute little uh, ending, Erebus and. Yeah, that's a great ending. They fought so much that they decided to get married so they could do it more conveniently or something like that. Yeah, that's a fun ending. C.S. Lewis was nothing if not a good wit. Yeah. And that's that's a great line. I dare say rings true for many a married couple. Yeah. I like the representation of the father, the king, kingly dad, whatever his name was. Yeah. Like the when, you know, he's just a man's man. He's out hunting with the dudes and comes and he still has the smell of dogs on his hands Mm -hmm. and he's washing off. I like that. He seems a lot. He reminded me quite a bit of a uh, Henry Bolingbroke, actually. Mm-hmm. He's kind of like a down-to-earth guy's king. There's that cute little, nice little moment where he's try- trying to be stern with his son for joining the battle, even though. But he's secretly uh, proud. Everybody can tell yeah. he's super proud. And then there's the line you mentioned it a little bit earlier, Jake. Yeah. But what was it that you liked so much about? What was the line again? He says, "Well, core is." Mocking Rabbit Ash, I forget, taunting him. When he's stuck on the hook or whatever and just yeah. looks like an idiot. Yeah, and he says, never taunt somebody who's weaker than you. Which is maybe J.K. Rowling could come up with that, but what she could not come up with is the second part of what he says. But when they're stronger than you, as much as you please. As much as you please, yeah. Which is Something like that. Which is great, mm-hmm. yeah. Never taunt anyone except when they're stronger than you. Then as much as you please is, I think, closer to what right then as much as you please yeah, yeah. something like that yeah that's great advice that's, that's advice that's when we stray from it when, when i stray from it in podcasting that's when i get into trouble the kinds of podcasts we do we'll be talking about cultural institutions and people and stuff over on sound of sanity and it's an important thing to remember that it's always better to punch up than punch yeah. down, punch yeah. down. Yeah. if you if you're punching down then and i know all of our listeners are probably thinking of a time where they felt punched down I'm sorry. I try not to punch down. We we don't do it anymore. I uh, know. Yeah, that's why we that's why we don't talk about Milton anymore. <laughs> uh, uh, anything else you guys liked about this book? I liked the tombs. That the was tombs. cool. The, yeah, the tunes. Yeah, the tunes. Oh, the tunes. The Tasmanian Daredevil chases them across the desert. That part was cool. Sweet tunes. They were dropping. You know, can I, this is not really a criticism, just the thing. I was, I know we've talked a number of times about how it's cool that Lewis lets the kids be just as dorky in the battles and stuff as they would be. I was a little sad for Shasta that he didn't get to do something a little bit cool. He jumped off Bree and went to, he He fell down and got knocked out. Yeah. If he could have just like stabbed somebody in the foot or. Yeah, that would have been nice. We need Peter Jackson. I actually really liked that nothing happened. I think that that's cool. Just for the same reasons that we've talked about before with Lewis just having a good angle on what heroism actually looks like. Yeah, you know, that sort of, of thing. It's just like they have to face their first battle and they both do. And it's not for them as glorious as it. It's, it's just like, yeah, 
It's like what we talked about in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Peter's Peter legendary fight with the wolf, yeah. you know, is just, oh, the wolf sort of accidentally falls on him. Right. You know? The wolf blew it, basically, or Peter would be dead. Yeah. And, but, you know, that that's the kind of, what's... Sorry. I just remembered Brendan's thing about the lion, and I thought it was funny. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> just some lion that masquerades as Haslan and eats people. <laughs> I really think something like that in the last battle. <laughs> yeah, there is. I know. I think we should. I think we should write this book. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> it's like, so, so, hey, I'm Aslan. What's up, huh? He you has know? some wisdom. Yeah, some followers of mine. You know. Okay. They'd say like, uh, "Let me eat you." <laughs> Quite a heavenly experience, I understand. <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm sorry, <laughs> Jake. What were you saying? I, something I was, to actually do with the book. I wasn't going to even say anything. I just giggled a little bit remembering it, and then you you asked me what it was. Well, you know, I told you, you ask somebody a question, they start to answer you seriously, and you look at them and start smirking and giggling as they try to answer you seriously. <laughs> it and makes you wonder, them, yeah. why makes you? them wonder what, and then you go off on some weird thing. It's like, all right, yeah. yeah. All right. Jake, I want to. Uh-huh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm with very, zero irony whatsoever. Jake. Yep. <laughs> Um, no, uh-huh. you're right. You're right. Okay. I'm sorry. It was bad hosting. I apologize. But yes, go on. <laughs> uh, uh, I think I was just saying I, I like that sort of thing. And I like being put in the, in the moment of, you know, who decides? who comes out of these battles and is better for it. Mm-hmm. And is what Lewis does is he gives you that sense that actually only God does. Mm-hmm. Like a king like King Loon knows that his boys have to face that and they have to come out on top if they're going to be kings. And if they face that and they can't come out on top, then, then there's no point. Like if you protect them from that, they're not going to be good kings. They've got to go through that. They got to take that risk and you can manage that risk however you want to, but also kind of what you want from your princes is for them to do something super daring, mm-hmm. you know, find their way into that battle that you're trying to protect them from, you know, show that you've got what it takes, show that you are ready to fight for king and kingdom. I don't know. Well, and then, you know, Shasta falls and gets knocked unconscious and that's it. That's all there is to it. Wakes up on the winning side. Well, we should, you should never forget in talking about C.S. Lewis in battle that he fought in, in one of the bloodiest, most chaotic, yeah. most That's awful right. I always think about wars. That. Any <laughs> battle scene that Lewis does, you have to assume this guy knows exactly what he's talking about. And he's portraying it exactly, exactly as gloriously as he thinks it should be and as, exactly as down and dirty and as inglorious. humble as it is. You just have to remember that. Yeah, well, it makes you appreciate, unlike so many of the disillusioned you know, po- post-World War One writers, like, he what he doesn't do is make war bad. He puts it in there and mm-hmm. lots of his books and No, what he says is it's messy, it's chaotic, it's bloody, it's stupid, it's random. It's all the things that Apocalypse Now tells you it is. And it's it's glorious also and, and God right works through and it. Good. And it's yeah. There's a purpose behind it. There's a purpose for it. Yeah. And to be able to hold both those things is something that actually I think Tolkien does well. Mm-hmm. But you'd be hard pressed to think of many authors who really get that combination. There's authors who just glory in it. And then you've got your whole strain of anti-war, yeah. anti-violence, anti-whatever people. 
but Tolkien may come a little closer on the side of glorying in it. Yes, he does. He's less down to earth. You've got you know the the men of Rohan or whoever singing it in slang. Mm-hmm. But then he does have you know his hobbit. I think with his hobbits, he does it. You know, Bilbo is just going to get knocked out in the battle of five right. armies, and same kind of thing with Bilbo. Yeah. Exactly. Nothing, nothing more to it for him than that. Well, and of course, there's the famous uh, Tolkien scene where the dwarves ride the barrels, and uh, yeah. Legolas jumps on the barrels, and he's shooting mm-hmm. all the orcs and decapitating the them. With ride, his... And yeah. Elf Kate falls in love with the dwarf. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. He surfs on a shield. Oh man. Yeah. What a cool scene. He he runs up a falling bridge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's right. That's, that's right. In slow motion. That was one of Tolkien's yeah. best. And the fact that he was actually able to write slow motion into yeah. The Hobbit. That was awesome. It was a really great, uh, the way that he yeah. pulled that off. And then you've got that awesome scene in The Hobbit where Gandalf and what are the two other elves? His names are slipping my... Uh, Gandalf and... Galadriel? Galadriel and... Elrond and Elrond, yeah, they face Hubbard. they face down uh, Sauron and, and the Nazgul themselves. Yeah, uh, forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. And Gandalf and it turns Radagast out, shows up and whips Gandalf out of there, and mm-hmm. it's not a moment too oh, soon. And Saruman's there, right? But Saruman's that's, that's there. the moment he gives us that in the Hobbit. That moment where Saruman. Well, Sar- Saruman's like, leave us, leave us, leave him to me, guys. I'll I'll take care of it. Oh, well. Oh, will he yeah, ever? Yeah. yeah, that's right. Well, leave Sauron to me, I think is what. You should have stayed dead. <laughs> Those are cool books. Uh, <laughs> the Three Hobbit books. Uh, Desolation of Smaug. Yeah, I'm going to have to read these again. I don't yeah. remember any of this. <laughs> I, I, I had forgotten all about this stuff too, but for some reason, oh, I'd watched this uh, cut, this trailer that somebody made. For the Lord of the Rings, the whole trilogy was a trailer, but set with Avengers music or mm-hmm. something like that. Somebody shared it, and I watched it. And so then I, I've been getting these scenes popping up in my YouTube recommendations ever since I watched that. Mm-hmm. And I have clicked on some of them because I'm just like, yeah, I don't remember those movies. What are those scenes? But then I also watched Aragorn give his awesome speech set to Portals from Avengers Endgame, uh-huh. and that whole thing set to, and the final sequence set to portals nice. and that worked pretty well it, it worked really well <coughs> there we go that it's the second kind of great case made for uh that avengers soundtrack really being epic and great when you can plug it into the lord of the rings and it works and brings a fresh strength to it well, especially that cue, I'm sure will live in fan-made YouTube mashups and movie trailers, professional movie trailers, and yep. for a long, long time, kind of like uh, the Hans Zimmer cue from Inception. The bah! suddenly, <laughs> suddenly, just like changed music forever and what, for the better. What cue are you talking? About? I remember in in uh, Inception, the music. Well, yeah, was that bah! Bah! Yeah. and that 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 cue and or very close, very very shameless ripoffs of it. It lived in movie trailers and movies for quite some time. It was so you think types of the Avengers theme will live on in. I think, yeah, that's my prediction. Um, or even just licensing that theme for trailers. Maybe that the actual Avengers theme itself is too recognizable, but certainly the, the vibe of the vibe and the surrounding music. Yeah. All right, guys, this has been an interesting episode. Very interesting that this is the greatest episode of all time. Who would have thought? that this would be the greatest episode of all time. 
And what does that say about the other episodes, I wonder? And what does that say about the podcast in general? What does that say about... That we just keep getting better. That we just keep getting better, yeah. Well, up until this point, everything's downhill from now, from here. Well, you know, until next week. That'll be the greatest episode of all time. Yeah, that's true. Followed by the week after that. Right. We're just going to keep supplanting each time. Can something really be the greatest episode of all time if it's supplanted? Time runs forward. uh, No, the day that somebody listens to this, it's the greatest of all time. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. Yeah, Babe Ruth was the greatest baseball player of all time. But then- Time. Time happened. Time expanded. Derek Jeter. I sort of think, though, when you say something's the greatest of all time, doesn't doesn't that mean of all time? from before and after? No, it means up until this point in time. Michael Jordan, you can't have that argument about anything in time that is still ongoing, right? Like, you're gonna argue Michael Jordan or LeBron James or Bill Russell is the greatest basketball player of all time? Oh, we can't have that conversation because who knows he'll be born tomorrow. So if time was to end, then we could start making actual declarations. We can't make any declarations of the greatest of all time until heaven if and so by that standard so your argument is that when we make that statement there is an assumption behind it and it's that it, we are we're talking about the greatest of all time to this moment Up to yes. this moment in time that's right that's right and so each week each week we make the greatest podcast of all time yeah we certainly make the greatest podcast we know how to make that week that's right i'll go I'll give us that much all right guys and George, uh, George Lucas, <laughs> and George Lucas wrote the greatest book that he knew how to write when he wrote *The Horse and His Boy*. Yes, that's what my brain just did. Wow, good old George and his. That was kind of a Tatooine feeling to Cowerman. Yeah. Yeah, Naboo, right? Naboo, yeah. yeah. This, this Mercury on Naboo. That's yeah. absolutely right. Jake, your lamppost rating. The highest rated book is *Silver Chair* with six point. Two five six and a quarter lampposts. Nice. Now, uh huh. Jake. Yep. Your s- lamppost rating five for the horse and his boy. Five. Whoa. A solid five. I put it on par with Caspian, which is a lower end of passable. The lower end of passable. Lower end of enjoyable. Now, I, J- I think that I I'm giving it points here for much like I gave. Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe points for being the first in the series that draws kids in and gets them into the whole series. I give this points for how likable it is for kids. Yeah, it cannot be overemphasized. I loved this book as a kid. Now, mm-hmm. and, I, and a lot of kids love this book. Brandon? Yeah. What lamppost rating are you going to give this book? Four. Four, wow. So this is your lowest lamppost rating. Yeah. Care to defend your answer? Uh, conversation that we just had. Oh, okay. People should go back and listen for the last (laughs) hour and a half, whatever it is. Okay, man, I'm, this is tough. I do not want to be too hard on this book. I have to admit, I did not enjoy it as much as the other ones. Do it. Do it. Do what? (laughs) You don't know what I'm tempted to do. I'll give it a 4.5. Okay. It's a, you know what? No, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna give a five. It's passable. As Jake said, it's the lower end of passable. I can't bring myself to punish it. I loved it too much as a kid. And so I'm just going to, maybe this is this is not something that Nathan would usually do. I'm going to give it what I think it objectively deserves. Usually I would think I'd make quite a point out of saying, well, you can say what you want about the book, but I'm Nathan and this is my opinion. And I'm going to give it three lampposts because that's how much I enjoyed it. And aren't I cool and iconoclastic? That's pretty much what I would usually do, right, guys? 
Yep. That's how you sound when you yeah. do too. Yeah, but this time I'm going to be a little bit more charitable, a little bit more even keeled, a little less subjective and say, I think this is basically a five lamp post book. So I'm sticking 4.666 to my repeating. guns. Is that what it is? Pretty sure. I uh, will check it with the official booking calculator, but I think you're probably right. Let's see. Five plus five, four, 14 uh, divided plus by three. Four divided by three equals 4.6 repeating. So thus far, this is our least loved Narnia book. Masses are revolting, I know. But. You know what? People can get, assign their own lamppost rating. Yeah. If they want to send it in, if they want to email us their thoughts, we're happy to read them. We they do not get... think we're the only people that are allowed to have thoughts about Narnia books. We're the only people allowed to assign lamppost ratings. Yeah, assign lamppost ratings to Narnia. Assign lamppost ratings to us. Yeah. Oh, boy, I hope I get lots of lampposts. Yeah, like to each of us individually? Yeah, what if I get three lampposts and you guys both get like six or seven lampposts? Yeah, this will be fun. I am deeply irritating, though, that one review did say. So you can Mm. understand why somebody might want to give me a bad lamppost rating. Hey, guys. (laughs) You know know what will bring all of our lamppost ratings up? What? Donor shoutouts. Oh, boy. All right. Uh, we'll 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 do it fast because this episode's gone pretty long. Yeah, both shout it out however you want. Sure. We'll just do it. We'll we'll do a little chaos here. Just go. <laughs> <laughs> Robert and Rhonda the Lovebirds. Robert and Rhonda the Lovebirds. By the way, these patrons, you go to patreon.com forward slash the booking. You sign up for ten dollars a month. We'll give you a donor shout out. More than happy to do it. Unless we forget you for a couple months at a time. We're getting to that. <laughs> the Artful <laughs> Anthony Dodger. The Artful, Artful Anthony, Anthony Dodger. Dodger. And speaking of Anthony's, Little Anthony's Cigar Store. Little, Little Anthony's Anthony Cigar, Cigar Store. For all your tobacco needs, except for cigarettes. Doesn't sell those, actually. But you go to 114 West Magnolia Avenue, Suite G in Auburn, Alabama. 36830 would be your zip code. You get some fine tobacco products. I'll tell you one person that might want to do that. The Immortal Chelsea E. The Immortal Chelsea E. I hope she doesn't do it. I don't like it when women smoke. I think it's, uh, it's when women smoke cigars specifically. I, I, it's not something that I really appreciate all that much. Jimmy Beam and the Little Annie Oakley. Jimmy, Jimmy Beam and Little Annie Oakley. Lily of the Valley. Lily of the Valley. Andrew and Esther the Love Andrew and Esther the Love Birds. The Keith Master. The Keith, the Keith Master. Master. Uh, David's Mighty Men Trucking. David's Mighty Men Trucking. John and Jill and Little Baby Max. John and Jill and Little Baby Max. Jay and Katie who are cold and love cheese and also see us Lewis, including Till We Have Faces. Jay and Katie who are cold and love cheese and are also. So wrong. Uh, wrong, yeah. Ha. <laughs> Fairy Princess of Wonder and Happiness, Mother Beth. Fairy Princess of Mother Beth. Wonder and Happiness, Mother Beth. Love you, Mom. Console Prime Adam. Console Prime Adam. You're one on the Star Deck. <laughs> Galactic Princess Emily. Is she wanted on the Star Deck? Galactic Princess Emily. Emily. Of course she is. This is Jer- like the greatest Star Trek crew ever. This is it. Does it in- also include Jeremy the Dark Hooded Lord, Lord, Lord of Death? Of course it does. Jeremy the Dark Hooded Lord of Death is the biggest Trekkie ever. And of course, Dark Prince Bear and Princess <laughs> Bug of Death Doom Die. Dark Prince Bear <laughs> and Princess, Princess Bug, Bug of, of Death, Death Doom, Doom Die. Die. A person whose donor shout out name seems increasingly unexciting compared to a lot of other people. Nathan, not me. Nathan, Nathan not, not Nathan. Nathan. Nathan, you want a more exciting one? You're. I, I'm happy. To, more than happy to do it. Just let me know. <laughs> Maya! Great thing about Nathan, not Nathan, and Maya. 
is that they've been there from the beginning and they get it's actually more special to be Nathan, not Nathan. Uh, yeah, I think they really are the rock stars of this. Or uh, Maya! Maya! Yeah, I, I agree. But but we cannot deny that it's pretty cool to be Ryan the Red Avenger and Judith of the Ladies of Justice. Ryan, Ryan the, the Red, Red Avenger, Avenger and Judith, Judith of, of the Ladies of Justice. Justice. Or even to just be Danny the Dude. Danny, Danny the Dude. <laughs> now... How would you guys, though, feel about being DJ Sammy G? DJ Sammy G. Or Benny and Dana Tiberius. Benny, Benny and Dana, Dana Tiberius. Tiberius. Eric and Catherine Eric from and Yon Catherine. Window Eric Breaks. And Catherine from Yon, Yon Window, Window Breaks. Breaks. Remember that's from last week? Oh, yeah. Ah. Professor and Lady X. Professor and, and Lady X. X. Lavender's green, green Dylan, 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 Lavender's blue. Lavender's green, dilly dilly, I love. Brennan, you can't say dilly dilly. The donor shout out is for oh, Dylan. Dylan, Dylan. Yeah, whatever. Dylan. 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 We love you, Dylan. I love you too. Now, this guy, I'm so sorry, Noah. You've been a donor for some time. And I think we even shouted you out like a couple months ago. But then somehow you got lost in the shuffle. So I'd like to apologize. And let's just go ahead and show, shout him out like four times here. Um, Has he got a name? Yeah. Noah Constrictor. Oh. I've never seen. Noah Constrictor. 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 I know one. Do you know a constrictor? I know a constrictor. Is it no, Noah constrictor? constrictor? It is Noah Constrictor. <laughs> it's our very own who's on first. <laughs> uh, of course, the lovely and talented Marichip. 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 And we've got a new person to welcome, Natalie. Say hello to Natalie. Hey, Natalie. Natalie hey. Or as you I'll... are in part responsible for this episode. Yeah, thank you, Natalie. This specific one. Thank you, Natalie. This is dedicated yeah. to you. And I, I have decided- I hope you don't really love the horse and his boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brother. Oh. oh, Natalie, you paid for it. <laughs> and then you paid for it. <laughs> Natalie, I'm going to call you Natalie with the battery of Kung Fu Mastery. Natalie, Natalie with, with the, the battery of Kung Fu Mastery. <sighs> yeah. Wow, that's- Natalie with the battery right. of Kung Fu Mastery. Yeah. That's like go. modern slant rhyme, which I usually don't support, but whatever. I thought it was kind of cool. Getting lazy in your old age. I am getting lazy in my old age. Now we've got another person that's responsible for today's episode. Uh-oh. I All hope right. they liked it. Chloe. 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 And Chloe, I like that name, Chloe, so I've decided to call her the fair and fragrant maiden Chloe. The fair and Fragrant mating clothes. And finally, another person responsible for this wow. episode. Oh, man. We love you guys. We do love you guys. Yeah. And I sincerely hope you got your money's worth on this episode. Tried to be fair to the book. Definitely got Hopefully something. Were. Hey, if you like Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you all like Harry Potter. <laughs> this would be Zach. I think Zach. these guys were Christian. We lost supporters because of our Harry yeah. Potter support. I thought these guys were Christians. I thought these guys were Christians. Yeah. It was one of, yeah. It was an exit survey. <laughs> it, was an, it was an exit survey around the time of Harry Potter. Yeah, well, we lost that one. Yeah. But yeah, that is one that we lost. Because... Let's say hello to Zach. Thank you for your support, Zach. Hope this episode was everything that you dreamed of. I'm going to call you Six Pack Zach with a mean attack. Six, Six Pack, pack Zach, Zach with, with a mean, mean attack. attack. <laughs> nice. I thought that one was cool. 
So I want to thank Noah Constrictor. I'm sorry that you haven't gotten been getting your shout out. Natalie with Battery of Kung Fu Mastery, the Fair and Fragrant Maiden Chloe, and Six Pack Zach with the Mean Attack. So thank you, Zach, Chloe, Natalie, Noah. Sorry. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Cheap. Now the episode is done. The podcast was produced by me, executive produced by Jake and me. Brandon was part of things, as always, a wonderful part of things. Be back next week with the magician's nephew. Uh, I want Shakespeare back. You want Shakespeare back. We will get to Shakespeare, of course. If you want to offer us even more support, maybe we get us up to that $1,000 level so we can do Tolkien next year. Dress as swans. And dress as swans with trumpets and walk around the courthouse. Then what you got to do is go to patreon.com forward slash the booking. Sign up for as little as a cough of cuppy a month. <laughs> cough of cuppy. A cough of cuppy. Love that coffee cup. You got it. I got to have my coffee in the morning. And you will support a great podcast and help us make payroll at Warhorn Media and help Jake's children not starve and my wife not starve. And that'd be great. Yay. Yay. Bye, Yay. everybody. We're not starving. <laughs>